have you waited for? To really receive the good news from this text today, I'm going to need you to be in a certain mindset because this text is not simply offering a message to understand like God is good. Many sermons, that's kind of what we're trying to do, get a message like that across. It does not use a healing story, this text does not, to assure us that God's grace is for everyone. Again, a pretty typical message, right? It's, it's complicated, this story we just heard. And it's also at the heart of Christian hope, according to Matthew. There's a couple different layers to it. And to get at the first one, I'm going to need you to think about what it feels like to wait at a stoplight or in line at the grocery store. Those are times of waiting that take minutes. But there are other kinds of waiting or other examples of waiting that that take days, right? Waiting for an online order to arrive through the mail, for example. Sometimes we wait for months. My daughter, Sophia, she turns 16 next Saturday. I remember waiting for months for me to turn 16 for that magical moment when I could finally take my driver's test. I remember what it felt like to wait for my wedding day to come. We were engaged for a year and a half. That seemed like a long wait. Not all waiting is done alone, though. Some waiting is done communally. A church waits through Advent together in preparation for Christmas, for example. A senior class waits together for graduation day. Our nation just completed a wait, waiting to arrive at election day after a long campaign, and then waiting again to hear of the results. Okay, so this is a start to feel our way into what waiting feels like. And of course, sometimes we wait with patience. Other times we wait with anxiety. We can wait for our turn at the light by singing along to the radio or by honking our horn as if that's going to make the wait go by faster. So far, all these examples, though, are for things that we know are going to happen. And we have an expectation for how long our waiting is going to go on. I've got some stoplights, I'll bet you do too, that, that I wait at often, timed out, so that when that left arrow moves off a of green, I know it's my turn, go. Like, I hardly even need to see my light turn green, because I know it's go. At the grocery store, I have a sense that it's going to be a few minutes for a cart with that much stuff, and then a few more for a cart like that, and then it's going to be me, so I kind of settle in for five minutes or so. Check out, you know, tabloids that I would never otherwise look at. But if those five minutes that I've expected, because I've, you know, gauged it from the carts, if it turns into ten, because they had to do a price check or whatever, then I start to get antsy, because my expectations for waiting got disrupted. After 43 years of being a church person, I have a sense for how long Advent feels or how long uh, Lent feels as we prepare for Easter. I even have a sense for long-term waiting that sometimes takes years. But not all waiting is so predictable or familiar. 
There are some things we wait for that are not for certain going to happen. You know, go fishing, cast for that big fish, and you may pull in a keeper, but it's not for sure, right? And so you hold that rod and reel ready at any moment. Part of what makes deer hunting such a thrill for those who love it is that there is no guarantee that they're going to even see a deer for hours and hours and days as they freeze their butts off on a tree stand, just waiting for what might come. I know I tease Viking fans uh, too often, perhaps, but they're offering such a really good example here. They all wait, as Cub fans did, for 108 years for a championship that may never happen. That kind of waiting for something that isn't for certain is different from the kind we do at a stoplight when we know exactly how it's going to work. That kind of of waiting for something that isn't certainly going to happen, that's mixed with hope. Or maybe it's faith. Or I think actually it's both. For today's text, I need you to keep both of these kinds of waiting in mind. The kind when you have certainty that what you're waiting for is about to happen, but also the kind of waiting where you don't know if and you certainly can't know when it's going to happen. Matthew, the gospel writer, feels this is a very important concept for Christians. That's why I'm talking about all this waiting. Because Christians, according to Matthew, are not just a nice group of people who worship God and are trying to be nice to their neighbor, all in hopes of individually making their way to heaven once they die. That's what religion has gotten boiled down to by many over the centuries, as though a church simply offers an individual a way to their personal eternal reward. No. As one professor told my seminary class often, God didn't go to all the trouble to be born, die, resurrected, and ascend all just for your dirty little soul. God did all that with much bigger purpose in mind to make right all that sin, death, and the power of the devil have made wrong. Matthew's early Christian community hungers for that big idea, for the world to be turned upside down, when God would make things that have gone wrong right again, all things. The decoder ring, if you will, the the lens through which to see the rest of Matthew's gospel is what we heard last week for our text, the Beatitudes from chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, is painting a picture of the kingdom of heaven that the world would never expect. The last will be first. The meek will be rewarded? The kingdom of heaven doesn't work like the world does? But even if we somehow find a way, maybe through reason or faith or hope, however it is that we find a way to come to believe, even if we believe that Jesus speaks the truth, that the kingdom of heaven will belong to the poor in spirit, how do we wait for that to happen? How long must we wait for that to happen. What can we know about when that will happen or how that will happen? 
That's what today's text is addressing. Matthew wants for us to consider those questions. So, to just state this as clearly as I can, Christians since the beginning have had this hope, not to get to heaven as an individual, but to have God fully take over for the sake of all creation, wiping away all tears, dissolving all fears, uniting everyone despite the ways we exclude each other and divide ourselves from each other. Christians like Matthew's community, and like ours at our best, proclaim a God who will expose all falsehoods and pull everything and everyone into a truth that lasts forevermore with God in complete charge of everything. Won't that be a glorious day? That's our hope. Complete victory for God and grace and life and love. That's the Christian hope. It's far bigger than I hope I go to heaven when I die. The big Christian hope is not a wish. It's the kind of thing we wait for that we know is going to happen. So how do we wait in the meantime before it happens? How long must we wait? What can we know about when this is going to happen or how this is going to happen? Some people in Matthew's day said that the Old Testament book of Daniel explained the when. Daniel is a book that hopes for a new age when the fullness of God's kingdom will be known to all the world. That's our Christian hope too. This is the message that Matthew wants to talk about. Matthew uses today's text, the ten bridesmaids, to speak directly to those who would use Daniel to make our wait feel more like the stoplight kind of waiting when we know exactly when we're going to be going. Matthew's addressing how some people use Daniel to make the weight feel more like the stoplight than the weight a deer hunter feels in their stand who's simply at the ready for whenever it might happen. It might seem like a small point Matthew's trying to make, like who cares whether our, our weight for God to make all things right feels like a stoplight or the deer stand kind of waiting. But Matthew's point is that the way we wait affects the way we live. It affects whether we live in constant watchfulness always in preparation for the fullness of God's reign, or we might feel like, we've got time. I know it's not happening for another 20 years or whatever, so for now I'll just, you know, ignore God. I'll kind of do my own thing because I can. i got time. Here's the problem Matthew is taking on. The Old Testament book of Daniel says things like, and they shall be given into his power for a time, two times, and a half time. Then the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and totally destroyed. Okay, so when I read that, did you go, oh, that's when Jesus is coming back? Because that's how some people read that. They're like, oh, sure, okay. A time, two times, and a half time. And so some people would say, so that means it's this year or this month. Religious experts in Matthew's day would use, or I should say misuse, scriptures like this to change the way people wait. If I told you God would take full control over all the world on August 6, 2041 at 6 a.m. Central Time, you would wait differently than if I said, we can't know when. So just always be ready. Matthew's point is, followers of Jesus 
should believe him when he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's going to happen. We do not have to wonder if God's going to reign. We cannot, however, know when. So don't listen to these crackpots who pretend to know the day or the hour. That's Matthew's point. We know that the fullness of God's justice and God's love will reign, but we can't know when. Which brings me to the main point of the parable. What we hope for certain, that it will happen in God's time is certain, and the point Matthew wants to get across is that we followers of Jesus, while we wait, we must keep constant watchfulness. We should not waste our time trying to guess when it's going to happen, and we also can't be wasting our time forgetting that it will happen, that God's full reign is on its way, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Have you ever needed a go bag? Have you ever needed to live at the ready? When the wildfires were so out of control out west, I heard an interview with one couple who said, the fires are 20 or 30 miles away right now, but they can up and blow this way at any moment. We know that. So we've got our go bags in the car. And the interviewer asked, you know, what, what was in them? And they described mostly necessities, but a few meaningful items too. Ways to remember a life that was about to be burned away. It was really sad. But they weren't sitting there trying to figure out exactly when to leave, but they also weren't carrying on as though the fire couldn't or wouldn't come their way. They were waiting in constant watchfulness. I had a go bag ready at the end of each pregnancy. Once Carla would hit seven or eight months, every twinge on her face made me look to the corner of the room, making sure the bag is there, right? Some clothes, some toiletries, music, Snicker bar for celebration, you know, the essentials. I've known family with a loved one who is slowly dying, who have assembled a go bag, ready as they can make themselves for the last days or last hours. And every text or call could be the one, right, that makes them leave whatever they're doing so that they can offer their full attention to that death moment. These birth and death moments that oftentimes require a special, watchful kind of waiting, they give a glimpse of the kind of waiting Christians live with as Christ will come again, of which Matthew is speaking of in his gospel. We followers of Jesus are called to assemble a spiritual go bag for that glorious moment. It's not the kind of bag that requires deodorant or extra underwear. I'm talking about taking the time and doing the work you need to do to remain watchful, to be ready, to anticipate God's total victory at any moment. So what's in your glorious go bag that keeps you ready? In this parable of the ten bridesmaids, five bring extra oil and five do not. Five really have light in their go bag, you could say to see into the darkness while the other five do not and then are left out. What helps you see through the darkness in your life? What helps you hear truth amidst the many lies this world tells? Lies about you and lies about everything else. What maybe should stay out of your go bag so that you're ready to go instead of insisting you need to stay behind? The good news today is that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again 
but we don't know when or exactly how. And in the meantime, we are to watchfully wait, acting always as though Christ will come again in the next moment. It's a way of life that is to live our faith, but also a way of life that draws us closer to that moment of truth and its source. We are made ready by God. Thanks be to God. Amen.